America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. La 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 la. The Inner Wealth Podcast. La la la. The Inner Wealth Podcast. La la la. The Inner Wealth Podcast. You know what day it is. Inner Wealth Podcast. Meditate and give. So manifest the greater this. And things all good, cause I say it is. Investing in inner wealth. Real generational wealth is mental health. It's an inside game, no toxicity. Let's talk and more listening. Ladies and gentlemen, and now introducing David McCullough, founder of Inception, the first mental health gym. La la la, la. Inner Wealth Podcast. La la la, la. Inner Wealth Podcast. La la la, la. Inner Wealth Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Inner Wealth Podcast. And if you've been watching me for some time now, I think we're probably, I'm not sure how many episodes we are in on this one, but if you've been watching me for some time now, you probably hear me say every episode. So I was talking to my mom. I was talking to my mom, and she was telling me, da-da-da-da-da-da, right? So now I don't have to say I was talking to my mom. I can say now that I am talking to my mom. So here's my one, what up, though? Here's my professional intro to my mother, who is Tina McCullough, the co-founder and COO, CFO, and whatever O we want to add on there. And not my non-professional version is, hey, Ma. Hey, Dave. <laughs> so, What's up, though? <laughs> what up, though? <laughs> so just wanted to bring you on here because everybody keeps asking, when is your mother coming on? So now you're finally here. Yeah, and it's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. So if everybody doesn't know, too, if you've come to Inception of Facility, the mental health gym, then you've uh, you've been in a place where um, my mom manages Inception, the mental health gym, so you've probably seen her there. But um, so we just have a nice conversation. We have these conversations on a day-to-day basis. I, sometimes I feel like, you know, we just like broken records. We say yes. the, we say the same thing over and over and over, and uh, when we say the same things that we say to each other to people, they're kind of like mind blown, right? And one of the, one of the things that uh, somebody was recently, I think I said on an episode where you, as a child, um, well, me and my sister Tamika, today is her birthday. Happy Mind birthday! You. Happy birthday, Mika! Um, well. When this comes out, it won't be her birthday, but yes. Uh, but don't say we never gave you a shout out I on know. your birthday. Happy birthday, Mika! Right. So, but one thing that 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 made me think, and I wanted to bring on the show and really kind of touch on all this, is that when I was younger and we had the TV guy. So I'm kind of dating myself, but we had the TV guy, and then the TV guy used to circle what we could watch. And me and my right. sister were basically, we were policed. So what? why did you do that and how did you know to do that? Okay, so when your sister was born, I realized that I wanted to be a certain type of parent. 
that wanted to also, you know, I saw myself as um, a parent as you guys got older and the type of relationship I wanted to have with you. And I didn't want that. I wanted to make sure that I provided some experiences, uh, some safety, some certain ingredients, and um, some values so that as you grew up, that um, those values would take hold and and you would be happier in your life because you wouldn't have so many of the negative influences. Mm-hmm. And I found that uh, one of the biggest influences was television and also the newspaper, but mainly television at that time. And we didn't even have um, Netflix or Hulu, just plain on television. We had like four or five channels at that point. Uh, it might have been more than that, but... Okay, six. Okay, maybe <laughs> six. But I saw what what was being played, and a lot of it was uh, fear-based, and it didn't show a lot of black people in a positive light. And so I would go through the television guide, and act, actually it was a star or an asterisk that I mm. put next to the to the television program, and I I would select something that I thought was more wholesome, that was family-oriented, and there was a good message. I didn't want you and your sister just to be exposed to a lot of uh, negativity and seeing visions of people being harmed Mm -hmm. because I wanted you to feel safe. And I thought that um, if you saw a lot of that, you would be programmed to be more fearful and to live more fearfully in the world. And that goes back to what I was saying is when I saw my my vision as a parent and also um, as a female, I, did, I wanted you and your sister to grow up and be independent and um, to find your way in the world. And I thought that in the beginning, if you were, if you had too many negative and fearful influences, that it would impede your ability to be more independent or to feel more free that you can have the life that you want to have. And then that would mean that there would be more enabling on my part or more enmeshment. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to leave me. I don't know if you remember this time. I told you when you All were right. nine years old. All right, I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. Okay, let's see if you remember. I told you when you were nine years old, I said, you're going to have to move out. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said, I'm never moving. And I said, yes, you are, because I may be in Africa somewhere. You said, well, I'm going to put a trailer in the driveway, and I'm never moving. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I reflected back on that the other day, and I was thinking, well, he was only nine years old. Of course he didn't want to leave, because you know what? Our, Our home was amazing. You know, it was a safe place. You can bring your friends home. I made sure that there weren't a lot of external negative forces you know, uh, programming you. And so uh, there was no place like being at home, right? Yeah, but before you you, you touched on a lot of stuff, how, how did you even, where did you get the consciousness to know to set the intention? You know, yeah. how old were yeah. you? How old were you when you had Mika? 20? 21. 21. I celebrated my 21st birthday. She's born on July 18th. My birthday is July 20th. So how did you, at that time, 
Because it's not like you took a class. Your, right. your environment that you grew up in right. was nothing like that, correct? I mean, correct. if you want to go into any of that, you can. Yeah. Well, when I grew up, children were to be seen and not heard, you know. So, you know, we had a roof over our head and, you know, great food and things like that. But you didn't talk a lot. It was just go to school and come home and don't bother us too much. Um, but what I saw, you know, growing up was I saw a lot of young adults who failed to launch. Hmm. and that they were enmeshed with their mothers. What do you, what do you mean by enmeshed? Can you, can you explain that? Yes. Well, they hadn't um, separated themselves as an adult, an independent adult, living on their own and taking care of themselves. And their problems and their parents' problems, you know, became— too entwined. They were like one? Yeah, in a way. Think of a chain link fence that is like all, you can't tell the difference between the end and the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that if a young adult uh, had a problem that the parent may have become over-involved in that problem. And so I saw that, and that is not what I wanted for myself when I looked at, you know, myself growing up, you know, we're getting older as a female because you said that, I, you know, as you said, I had Mika when I was 21. So 20 years later, I wanted to be an independent woman who had independent children who were living on their own and we're doing well. And so I had to think about that. Like, so what would that mean from birth until they got into their early 20s? What would that mean on my part as a parent of what are some things that I would need to do? And in particular, what were some things that I needed to do for myself mm. to make sure that I wasn't enabling or becoming enmeshed with you because that's, you know, that's kind of easy to do when you have, you know, children that you love and you want to be with them, mm -hmm. you know, but if we don't continue as adults to do things that um, increase our own personal development, we'll find that we're relying on our children to provide us with a life or, you know, or keep us company or, mm -hmm. you know, be our companions. What you see, what you see a lot of today. Yes. yes. And so, so we end up, you, you heard me say many times, unconsciously, I believe, it's clipping our children's wings. Mm -hmm. You know, we, it could start in grade school. Oh, you got a D. That's okay. Uh, there's no, there's no, um, like you said, you said something about safety. You wanted us to be safe. And we've, we've had this conversation multiple times where, but the other side is that, and we've seen it. I've seen the people who I grew up with that, you know, and it's like, 
yeah, they want you to be safe, but when they shield you from everything that could even arouse your nervous system mm-hmm. or uncomfortableness, discomfort, we're not talking about danger. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about discomfort, right? right? So let me qualify that. Uh, when I talk about safety, of course, uh, first and foremost, it was your physical safety. Where you're going to be safe physically. We talked about the whole idea of wearing certain shoes, where you're going to be safe. But also providing a home where you felt emotionally safe. Mm -hmm. And it's that emotional component that's just as important because then that allows you to build up your central nervous system so that then as a parent, I can step back a little bit and see that okay, there's a situation or opportunity that has arisen that they're going to have to learn on their own. Mm. You know what I'm saying as far as... So you just kind of back off and and let me or Mika kind of figure it out um, to a degree. Yeah, and it depended depended on uh, what developmental stage you were in. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, when I wanted to go back to college... And I talked to your teacher. You were in the fourth grade at that time. And I spoke to your teacher and I said, well, how do you feel about that, about me going to school? I'm going to be gone one day a week. And uh, he's in the fourth grade now. She goes, oh, that's going to be fine. That's going to be great because this is the cutting the apron strings time. He's old enough now to know to put your books in your book bag, get your lunch ready, that type of thing. So me going back and taking college classes coincided with you having an opportunity to also uh, get to the next level of Mm. being more efficient and proficient in your life. But it all stemmed from the fact that from a newborn, you felt safe that you can now take this next step. And I was about, you say, fourth grade. I think a fourth grade, were you about eight or nine, yes, maybe? Yes, yes. And so I've had these um, conversations. Sometimes there's been women I've dated where I've seen them leave a kid at a specific time frame mm-hmm. that I just thought was too early. Mm-hmm. You know, doing doing a lot of traveling. And mm-hmm. it's this constant, there's a constant um, change in the environment. Like where are you where are you going now? Like you know, and I never being younger, I never got that from you or my father. You know, and and right. two, just to clarify, because you said the word independent, you wanted to grow up independent, and most people in this culture now find that to be like you were a single mother, which you weren't. You you were married, right? You know, um, with my dad, and so it was a it was a family unit, but you know. I don't remember seeing y'all going on too many trips. I can recall a few where maybe we went over our grandparents' house. But -hmm. for the most part, it was very consistent. Was that thought out and planned or was that just because you were introvert and you didn't want to travel anyway? No, that absolutely that was thought out and planned. Absolutely. Because I know I knew that you needed to have and I don't know how I knew this. But I knew that you needed to have a good connection with us first. 
before you can go out and be with other people. The connection had to be made with me and your dad. Mm -hmm. And so you could feel secure within that. And how that was made was with consistency. You, there were rituals in our home, and there was consistency. And you knew what was going to happen from Monday through Friday. And then on Saturday and Sunday, you know, we were going to get with Grandma on Saturday and mm, go to Big go Boys. To mall, go to Big go, Boys, go to Big get boys, fish and chips. And like, cream of broccoli soup, yeah, yep, you know. Olga's. and yeah. So once that that was anchored in you, that sense of consistency was anchored in you, and that stability that then allows you to be able to go out a little bit. But I was very aware of also of who you were with and how long you were with, because again, I realized that other people's influence can possibly be detrimental or not good for you, mm. you know, and it only takes one event. Exactly. And then I'm dealing with a traumatic child, you know, a child mm. has been traumatized and that could be life changing. Mm -hmm. And so that definitely was um, conscious. And there were only a handful of people that you could be with. And they had to be vetted out. Yeah. I mean, I, rem <laughs> I remember wanting to go, and go over to some friend's house and they're like, no. Nah. Like, so, and, and at that time, you think, as a kid, of course, you know, you as a kid, you think, well, they just don't want me to have fun or something like that. But really, you're not thinking that I don't know those people. I don't know those people's values. I don't know their their character. I don't know what's going on over there. You know, a lot of those different things. So now that I'm I'm grown, I that's why I was, went back to the whole thing about, you know, women I've dated and their kids and seeing how, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, who who are you letting your kids be around? Like, who is these random people? Right. And, and and why are these people, like, it's new person after new person after new person. It's like, so what, What now, again, we're going to go into this, but but I also want to frame it and want people to understand that you're a licensed social worker, yes. a licensed therapist, and we can talk about, I mean, over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So how does that, how have you seen what we're talking about and this inconsistency of, building a nervous system, how does that impact kids that you've seen? Well, they, they don't they don't trust the person that's in charge of them. They don't trust their caregiver to keep them safe. And case in point, your sister, she had a friend that came over. I don't know if you remember this, David, but she had a friend that came over, and her mother, uh, the little girl's mother, dropped her off. She didn't come in to see who I was. She didn't come in to see who was in the home or anything. She dropped her off at the edge of the driveway. And, and I said, well, maybe she, um, you know, was late for an appointment. I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt. And then when she came back to get her daughter, she pulled in the driveway and honked her horn and her daughter ran out. And I told my, I told your sister, I said, you will never go over to that person's house because if she is that lackadaisical mm. with her own child, I cannot trust you being there and she looking over you. And when you were, uh, you know, befriended Melvin, mm. remember he came over and mm. his dad came in our home. Mm. And then when you wanted to go over to his home, I drove you over there. I went inside their home and prayed, 
you know, like, it seems to be pretty good. I mm. None of my antennas went up at that time. And at that point, you were old enough, yeah. you know, to know, like, I don't want to stay my, you know, that type right. of thing. And so you leave. And your, I never had, I never had any friends who I felt like that. That you didn't want to stay with? No. Yeah, because why would you have that, friends right, like that? Right, right. Yeah, why would you have friends like that? And mind you, we grew up in Detroit. And the reason why I have to say these things is because it's a lot of, like, misperceptions of growing Detroit, Detroit, growing up in Detroit, growing up black, like, like the way I feel and how this this consciousness that I feel into is like we just all grew up in broken homes and and we all yeah. just like in Detroit you get off I mean there's gunshots happening everywhere you drive down every street in Detroit and there's no black successful people and only black success successful people have to be millionaires we were never right. millionaires no we, but we were wealthy on the inside yeah of, yes but we weren't wealthy like this idea yeah, that's being perpetuated yes. now. Like you just have to have all of this stuff mm-hmm. and your life is going to be amazing. Well, children don't need, really need want that much stuff unless you train them to want stuff. We go outside you and know? pick dandelions. I mean, you know, I perp- that was another thing. I purposefully did not give you and your sister a lot of stuff. You got what you needed plus a little bit more so mm. you can have fun. And so, you know, you can feel fulfilled. But I was intentional in not giving you a lot of things because I did not want you to get into, at that time, the matrix wasn't out. But right now, I would say the retail matrix because Mm. I wanted you to build your self-esteem from the inside of experiencing things and not having things. So you got things, but if you look at what you and your sister got compared to the other people that lived in the neighborhood, they had a lot more than you did. You know, a lot may have had a lot more things, but and, you were still I, and satisfied. I, I never felt like you weren't they deprived. Had more. Yeah, no, because, I never felt like they had more because the things that we got too, they weren't they weren't just given just just cuss. You know, maybe sometimes here, but you got birthdays, you got holidays. And then, too, what I learned early on, and, you know, this is from the the dad perspective and the mom perspective, and I'll have my dad on the show at some point, too, is that I saw a guy um, from my lens, again, I saw it from your lens, too, seeing a woman get up and go to work and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. But then I saw a man figure get up, go to work, uh, own a landscaping company, and say, hey— this is this is me running a business, and I still go to work. And if you want to make money, this is how you make money. If not even if you want to make money, if you want to get what you want, then this is what you do. And I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know if you remember getting an allowance because I don't remember giving you too no, much of I an allowance. I don't, I don't remember maybe allowance. five dollars. Maybe your dad would give you money, but. I don't remember that. I we just didn't rem- give you money. We you had to earn we money, work. and before you got to work, work. What did you do? You you had to play. You had to uh, remember the time you wanted those gym shoes, and I said, "What are you gonna do for those gym shoes?" Well, one I told you, no, you didn't say what I'm gonna do. I came to you. Let's let's get it right. I came to you with a business offer. <laughs> How old were you? I have no idea, but I'm like, okay. 
this these gym shoes that I want. And grandma gave me thirty, forty dollars for, for my birthday. birthday. I need to make up the rest. Right. And I got somebody who's gonna give me a discount right. at Sibley's. Right. So I had it all planned out of like how yeah. to get what I wanted. Right. And when that when you said yes, that began to empower me to know that I can get what I want if I if I work for it and if I strike good deals. Right. <laughs> and I, I think wasn't maybe that was another time but it was multiple times I've but, had these but, these these deals. Though. One of the times was you had to clean the toy room up. Yeah, I remember. It was that. always you had to do something. Yeah. Take the dishes out the cabinet. It so that was our lesson in you have to earn it. We're mm-hmm. not just going to give it to you. Right. And I remember that one time you wanted a pair of new gym shoes and we were going to Florida and we said no. And you didn't have the money to get them. And so you went to Florida with old gym shoes and the sky didn't fall. The world didn't come to an end. You right. Had, you, you, still may be, have you, may be, you may be mad. You might you go were down mad. mad but you were you... mad. I was like, nobody's even going to notice your gym shoes. They don't even know you. So you don't need a new pair of gym shoes. So. That was another lesson in... Mm. Well, training your nervous system to yeah. know that, you know, if you don't have what what you want, like you said, you, the, the sky didn't fall. Right. And, and you're not going to always get what you want when you want it. Yes. At the exact time that you want it in life. You know, and those, those are the things I think really what we're talking about is programming and building the nervous system. Right. If we're just talking about just from a biological yes. standpoint, you know, yes. and, and a lot of parents don't have this consciousness. So what we're talking about is conscious parenting. Exactly. So and there was a point when you, because you started to go to therapy at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Is that when your consciousness started to go even further up in awareness about how to? Yeah, but at that time, you and Mika were grown. We were? Yes. So, uh, no, what, when did you, you start? were grown, 96, you were grown. I was 16. Yeah, we were in, you were in. But you still had a, you still, before you even went to therapy, and that's another conversation is going, people who go to therapy have mm-hmm. to have a certain level of consciousness to be able to benefit from it. was a wonderful experience. What, therapy? Yes. Okay. So what, you had a consciousness already, so what mm-hmm. was it that you heard about Hey, it's this thing called therapy, and you crazy. You need to come here, no, well, like, because that's what know, the that's what the black people's thought process of of, of yeah. therapy was. Why Cra- are you going to that shrink? Yeah, crazy is the lamest term. You know, mm-hmm. that's not an appropriate term. I I know. I'm saying what yeah. what the the general well, because I um, consciousness is. We're kind of diverting a little bit, but because I knew that there was something in me that I needed to resolve. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, you know, we didn't talk about how trauma affected your life, you know. And I grew up in a neighborhood that had a lot of stuff going on. But amazingly, it was like my little home that I lived in with my mom and my grandparents and my aunts and a slew of other people. It was like um, like a land within a land, like its own little place that was kind of untouchable in a way. Mm-hmm. But but then again, we were all touched, you know, and I found when I look back, I think that um, trauma was normalized. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people, the way they dealt with it too was to um, 
go into denial. Oh, it's not that bad. That really didn't happen. Oh, just get up and brush yourself off or, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to, you're not supposed to feel what you feel or at least don't let us know what you feel because we're all feeling really bad. And if you let us know, then we're going to all feel bad and we don't want to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. we just, it was a survival technique. We're just not going to think about it. And so I knew that there was something in me that I needed to resolve. And when I got into the School of Social Work, I met some people that told me about therapy, and particularly um, a black woman. And um, I found out she was my first therapist, actually. Was that Vicky? Yep, that was Vicky. Thank you, Vicky. Mm. And um, I found out some things about how... Um, Growing up in a family of people that drank or even living in a neighborhood of people that drank a lot or were alcoholic, alcoholics, how it impacted you unknowingly. And so unknowingly? Oh, you said unknowingly. Unknowing. You oh. you 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 right, weren't you aware. Mm-hmm. You weren't aware of how it was had a big impact on you. And I really think today that, you know, alcohol is so insidious in our community and in our culture it's like it's normal to drink if you look at every tv show they have a drink in their hand and so now you know they have other things too but well is that because it's not it's not just so much that it's normal to drink it's just normal to be in pain and it's that's the normal way to self-soothe yes exactly and so i knew that some things had happened you know growing up that I had a berry that needed to come out and for me to resolve. And so um, I went to therapy and started to, you know, like they say, peeling the layers of an onion, Mm -hmm. started peeling the layers of an onion, of that onion, and uh, learned so much about myself and just really went back and relayed my foundation and um, came out of that. Um, that I think it was like many years of of me going through therapy. And a lot of people would think, well, you must have really been crazy. No, it just takes time for you to process through everything. And sometimes you're not ready. So you can go to therapy for a few weeks or a few months and some things may not come up. And then you have to go through um, the forgiving process of forgiving yourself, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I was walking around and feeling this way or acting this way. That's when a grief. Yeah, that's when you're like, wow, look how much time I wasted, you know, like. Mm -hmm. And then you have to um, forgive others. And how I got to that point was to um, realize that people do what they know how to do. Yeah, and and let's talk about that for a second because there is a— Another feeling that I get from just being on social, and, I, and I've said that statement before, that people are doing the best they can with what they have, right, mm-hmm. or what they know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are not in a, a space to want to hear that because they feel like that somehow lets the person off the hook for the, what they did. It doesn't make it okay what they did, but they would... M- Mainly probably did that in unconsciousness. So let's let's think about that because when you say, well, when I said to myself, 
Someone did what they knew how to do. That person may not even be alive. So how are you letting them off the hook? It's not for them. It's for you. It's for you to forgive because they were operating at an unconscious level just the way you were. And you may have done some things or said some things or acted a certain way. And it just gave me a greater understanding that a person doesn't necessarily sit down and consciously say, well, I'm just going to make your life a living hell. Mm. They are in hell or they are in their own state of unconsciousness and hurting and anger and frustration, and they are projecting that out on you, Mm. whether that is what they say, something they say or what they do, how they behave. Um, Some people have been neglected you know, emotionally, physically. So that person is just projecting their own hurt on you. So that is how at least I, you know, learned how to forgive, you know, that I wasn't necessarily the target. I was just in the way. Yeah. You were just it. Innocent bystander. Yes. I was in the house. Yeah. Yes, I was in the house. Yes, I was in the house. Um, We talk about, we've talked about before, and I I think I always get the term kind of confused or mixed up. Is it the identified client? Yes. And can you describe that, what that is? Yes, the the identified client usually is the person in a a group, um, a family system. Say if you have mother, father, brother, two brothers, some siblings. <clears throat> and so the identified person is the person that the uh, parents may say, oh, they're acting out. They're the ones that's, that is acting out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting the bad grades. They're, you know, dropping out of school. They're on drugs, all these things. But they may be the person that's showing the world that that family, that the family system it's not working, that it's dysfunctional. And they are the ones that are more externalizing. Mm, they're, they're the ones that is leaking. Yes. The other, the other people. They're actually telling the world, this family is dysfunctional and everybody mm. else is hiding it, but I'm going to be the one that's going to Exp- out you guys. I'm going to expose you. But not. But they're not saying, you explain that, they're not saying that verbally, they're no. just in their or actions. Or even consciously. Yeah. Or even, or even consciously. Right. Yeah. So whenever we would um, look at a family system and you see one person's acting out from a family system's perspective, then we would take a look at, well, what's going on with the mom and dad? Mm-hmm. And then what is going on with the rest of the siblings? And what you may find is that the mom and dad, they're not really a unit. Um, the boundaries may be too tight, meaning that when I say too tight, they're in their own worlds. They're not really paying attention to the children. You may uh, also find that even though others, the siblings may appear to be doing okay, when you dig a little deeper, you'll find out the sisters into some dark things and mm. the other brothers into some illegal things. So the identified client is the one that's acting out the most. And the other ones are kind of hiding, you know, 
what's going on. Mm-hmm. And um, but usually it's not just one person. Right. Well, it can be because the whole environment, everybody in that ecosystem is is, yes. is affected. It's just that one for whatever reason, the energy is is seeping, is seeping out. Right. And then too, I'm glad you brought that up because it also matters um, how each person in the household is perceiving what is going on. Mm. You know, because you may have one child to say, well, dad never talked to me that way or mom never talked to me that way. It may be because um, they have a different relationship with different with different children mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Right. If you are, uh, if if you're in conflict with your spouse or companion, and then you have a child that comes out that looks just like your spouse or companion, they there could be a um, likelihood that they may take that out on their child. Mm. You dislike your daddy. Yes. Right. That's that's what yes. that's what that's what we say. Right? Yeah. You act. You you look just like your daddy. You act just like your daddy, or just like your mom. But mainly, I've heard it from a from a male perspective, like your daddy. But um, you've yeah. never really said that to me in a negative way. Uh, some people they use that towards their kids yes. in a very negative way. Yeah. Like, like it's a bad thing. You just like your daddy. Like oh. Yeah. And like, particularly if you're not with the father. Yeah. 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 And so you may have some and hold a little animosity towards your child. But um, I have said that to you, but um, more positive, mm-hmm. and particularly now that you're grown, I'm like, yes, bring out the art in you. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, I bring out, bring out art at times. Yeah, you have to bring out art at times. Yeah, yeah. that super masculine energy to put people that's, in their that's place. When, that's when ass kicking is about to happen. You got to bring <laughs> art out, even though he never kicked your ass. I no, I'm just saying, just yeah. like, um, you know. People who are pushing the boundaries, yeah, and you've you've seen me have to activate it a few times in business on some yeah. people, like oh, no. and I'm like, yes, no, that's that's not that's not happening, and I I think um, that's been important um, in my journey, and, and and that comes from having a healthy family unit. Would you say our health our family was healthy? I would say it was good enough. Yeah, there is actually a psychological term called good enough. The good enough mother. You don't have to be perfect because how can you be? Nobody's mm. perfect. We're all human. But I think it was good enough in that, first and foremost, uh, you felt safe in your environment and emotionally pretty much, you mm. know. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we know all dads can be a little harsh. So mom step in to Yeah, soothe, soothe your wounds. Yeah. But, but yeah. now yeah. I look I look at go back into um, like those old days with like um, – like gladiators and stuff like that stuff. They the the males they throw them in the jungle. Yeah. And you gotta survive. Oh it's just like well, I look back. I'm like, oh yeah, my dad was tough and you know, but nothing that 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 helped me. You yeah. Know? And long as you have the other end, you have the you, other. You gotta energy. have the other end to to soothe my yeah. nervous system right. after being you know thrashed, yeah. but not in physical yeah. thrash, but maybe. Yeah. Emotional. Even if it's um even if you don't say anything, even if I didn't say anything, my vibes were there mm-hmm. to bring the environment back down. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Cause it is it's 
you you too you know you too wrapped up Amped in your up. nervous system yeah. like that. Yeah. So basically, it, the self soothing. You know, yeah. not the self-soothing, but the soothing of the mom. So ba- being in the uh, social work field and looking at families mm-hmm. and we're talking about family dynamics, there are definitely principles, programs to produce healthy humans. Is that true? Principles and Principles pro- and programs, ways of raising kids and families to produce healthier human beings. Yeah, there are, but, you know, each individual will do their thing a different way. You know, I'm not really sure if I'm on to what you're saying, but I can just say Well, that, broken families. Do broken families produce more broken people than healthy families produce healthier people? Uh, I, I wouldn't generalize that because you have to define broken yeah, yeah, I guess I would say, yeah, you when I mean broken, I don't mean broken as in inherently you're broken. What I mean is that you don't have, um, you're not getting both sides of the spectrum. If you don't have the resources, the emotional, re- mental resources, mm-hmm. to be aware that, okay, for example, um, I know some single moms that have intentionally like if they have a male child, they have intentionally, and I've even spoken to uh, single females, you know, uh, in my field, and we will sit down and think about who in the family can be a good role model mm. for their male child right? so they can have the male influence. And who is that and what would that look like? Right. And also if the person is willing. And that's why it was so important also when I met with my single moms that they realized, okay, you're dating, but you have to realize if your child gets attached to a person who is not going to be your husband or who you didn't marry, what happens when that person is no longer there? And that has happened. Oh, yeah. That Mm -hmm. has happened. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um, in one instance where, you know, I really rallied around this one man, he had become close to the two children to the point where they didn't want they didn't want to leave him and he didn't want to leave them. So even though the mom had carried on and I give her credit for that, too, because she was putting her child, her children's best interests at heart, she allowed that relationship to continue continue and to flourish. Mm. And so her children weren't left. I mean, they had really bonded with this man because she had been with him for like seven or eight years. And so they had bonded with him. And he says, they're my children and I want to keep up this relationship. And they said, and we want to keep the relationship. So they all made an arrangement of how that would look. Yeah, And so the children greatly benefited from that. There's a show on Netflix called Manifest and it has it has a scene like that. And mm-hmm. I won't spoil it for people who can go see it. It's in one of the episodes. It's really about a um it's about a, a a flight that took off and while this flight was in the air, it was like this lightning storm, this mm-hmm. thunderstorm, whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, shook the plane, had everything rattled. And then when it stopped, they called down like, hey, we're about to land. And they're like, hey, what's your flight number? And they're like, um, 
this is our flight number. They're like, we can't find that flight number. They realize that flight number um, was a flight number for five years ago because what had happened was the the storm and everything somehow this this is mir- miraculous thing where they disappeared for five five or six years. I, I think I started seeing that. Yes. So then when they came mm-hmm. back, they just showed back up, but their yeah. family had moved on. Right. All the people who was on that plane. And that one, yeah, I remember that you said you didn't want to do spoiler alert, but. Yeah, so you know a scene. So you started seeing the show. Mm -hmm. So it's like that was in there. But so that that goes along with the question about is there is there a program or principles to create healthy families or create healthy human beings? The answer is really yes, because even though you you said there were some things, (laughs) it's like, you know, even if you don't have the family, you have to make up for something in exactly. some way. If you didn't have a father figure, you have to find a father figure or a woman figure, you know? Does that make yeah. sense? Mm-hmm. Uh particularly for those who uh who who are um adopted or have a um a parent who died, mm. then um if you have a good caregiver it doesn't have to be your mom, but it has to be mom-like, mm. you know, that person. Or Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Father-like, right. you know, um, that can um, take the place. And that's why you see so many athletes. They that- always say something about their mother. Well, they get attached to their coaches. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because they're looking for that father role, mm-hmm. you know. So um, it needs to be a good enough person. And when you say program or principles, let's talk about what are the ingredients. Well, I guess I should say ingredients. Yes. If we start uh, from the bottom, we're first of all talking about safety, you know, and that's just not your parent keeping your body safe but keeping your mind safe so that you don't have so your parent is not allowing a lot of influences that are going to make you feel afraid you know and that could be through social media or you know some other um media device or whatever mm-hmm. uh, but also as with you and your sister no you can't go over to that person's house or you got to stay with us. And I remember, I don't know if it was with you, but I, I think it was with her. I said, you know, I'm really not trying to make your life difficult by saying no, because it seems like there's a time period when you become adolescence where everything is no. 
no, no, nope, you can't go there. No, you can't have that. Mm. And it just seemed like so negative, like, no, no, no. And I said, I, this is the situation. If something happened to you, and there were some things that were going on back then where this young girl, she went to spend a night and she didn't come home. This man came into the house and kidnapped her, and then they found her dead. And so I told your sister, and I don't know if I told you this, but I said, if something happened to you, I would never forgive myself. I would be devastated. So when I put it that way, I made myself vulnerable Mm. and letting you know I'm not against you. I'm for you because I love you. And I don't know what I would do if something happened to you. Mm -hmm. So that's a good point, too, about not being against us. Like, I don't think I've ever felt from you or my dad like like y'all were against me. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard of that and parents being against their kids or sabotaging their kids, it blew my mind. Like, Well, that's part of the projection. Mm. They are just projecting their own anger or frustration or whatever they grew up with. You're, you're a vulnerable target because you can't fight back. Mm. You're a child. And so, unfortunately, you get hit with their projection. You know, they use you as a target. And that's very unfortunate, and I see it all the time. And I just recently saw it, and I said, God help that child because the damage can be done to the point where it's going to manifest in their adulthood and affect them the rest of their lives. Right. And um, you talked about something, too, about therapy. Because mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, issues in the family and then we talk about solutions and mm-hmm. therapy is is where uh, an ingredient that mm-hmm. you add it into your own mix at later yes. in life. And um what are what are some of the ingredients to have for the a good therapist? What makes for up a, a good, good therapist? Therapeutic relationship. The therapist mimics in a way the good enough parent. They are consistent, meaning that when you have an appointment, they're always there, Mm. or they should be. Shouldn't be too many cancellations because that's going to mimic abandonment, you know. Mm. You know, you may feel a sense of abandonment or my therapist doesn't really want to be there for me. So there's that consistency of being there for this certain period of time, and they create an environment in the room with just the two of you, or they should, where you feel safe to say anything. Mm. And they do that by their body language. You know, their body language should be relaxed. You should feel accepted. There should be good eye contact, enough, you know, where it's not, you're not feeling like they're staring you down, but There should be some warmth there, and the way that they speak. The tone in their voice should um, emphasize empathy, and also you should know that you're there for you, not for them. 
if they start talking a lot about their own story in their own childhood or what's going on with their life, then you know that it's about them and that it's not about you. And they are projecting on you. And that is one of the things that we learn is that you need to know what your stuff is about. If you're going to do clinical work with someone, you need to know what your stuff is about because you don't want that to be projected on someone else, you know, because then it's not about them, it's about you. And so you feel safe, you feel um, that you are listened to because they will sometimes rephrase what you're saying to make sure that they get a under good understanding or they may rephrase it so you can hear it yourself. So they may say, so what you're saying is, Say, for example, when I did um, therapy with school children, I would say, so what you're saying is, so I can know that I'm understanding what they're saying. They would say, oh, yes, Ms. McCullough, you got it, you got it. And then they they felt fully understood, and I could feel that instant connection between us because they're like, she listened and she understood. Now I can say the next thing that I need to say. Mm. Otherwise, if you don't feel understood, then you're going to uh, clam up. You're going to say, well, they're not listening to me and they don't understand, so why should I keep talking? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a habit of uh, seven habits of highly effective people. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Right. And I think that understanding is what provides that safety. And that's why when people come into Inception, they they walk through and they feel safe because they feel they feel understood, even though they never even talk to me personally, but they feel understood because they hear me saying yes. the things that mm-hmm. resonate with them. And that that was intentional on our part. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing. We like, first of all, they need when they walk in there, they need to feel safe. And part of that safety is quietness. When you walk in, there's, you know, when people come in, sometimes people get really happy and they start laughing and we tell them to lower their voice, you know. Um, but there's no conflict there, mm. you know, or they walk in and they, they can automatically feel the sense of peace and calmness because that's what we created, because that's what we want them to feel, you know. Mm-hmm. Back Back to safety. It always, it just like all the trauma work we talk about is just really getting back to safety. Right. Exactly. And the therapy is about helping your unconscious become conscious. Right. So that now, because if, again, you articulated something, so what you're saying is. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. They didn't even know what they were really trying to say <laughs> right. or feel. So that gives them the freedom to finally feel that. Right. So imagine uh, the unconsciousness as a blanket over yourself. And um, so you have this blanket over, and you want to just peek underneath the blanket and open up your awareness a little bit. I really want to look out there and see what's out there. You've used your defense mechanisms to put this blanket over yourself, which is the blanket of denial that these things really have hurt me. And so if you, uh, lift up that blanket a little bit, 
And your therapist said, I see you. How are you in there? I hear you. I hear what you're saying. And you lift your blanket up a little bit like, yes, that's what I'm saying. And so imagine, you know, in therapy with a good therapist, each time they validate you that you lift your blanket up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until you no longer need that security blanket. You've come out of your uh, denial, and denial is many different layers, you mm-hmm. know, that can take time for you to do that because sometimes you may get frightened, put that blanket back over your head, you know, like, no, 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 I can't do this. So imagine, for me, it was like taking that security blanket off. And then, as I've told you many times, part of that therapeutic process, too, is you find your therapist within you or you find your mother or father inside of you. You start to build up yourself internally because someone externally has provided a safety net for you. Mm. And you know what? That's what we do in Inception. We have those tools that balance out and stabilize your central nervous system so you can kind of lift that blanket up a little bit and get some space and get some space. And say, I, I see that I was frightened because this happened when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to start addressing those issues. And therapy, or again, ingredients for a therapist, if you know people are black, should they necessarily have a black therapist? I didn't. I went with the type of therapy that I wanted and the skill level of the therapist. I originally started with a black therapist, then I went to a black psychologist, and we just in jail, you know, because uh, someone told me, you know, you can outgrow your therapist. I didn't know that, that people have different skill levels, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it was time for me to move on, and that's when I was referred actually to a white male. But this is after your first black therapist. Yes, this okay. was after, yeah, the first who I had. Vicky, I had a wonderful experience with her. Boy, I was just really enlightened with her. But then she had kind of moved on, and then I had to go to another therapist, which didn't compare to her level of empathy and safety that she oozed out in the room that you would, you could tell her anything because you didn't feel judged, and that's another great characteristic of a therapist, you don't feel judged by them. Mm -hmm. You just say what you're going to say. And uh, another thing is um, working with the school children is like, I would tell them there's nothing you can tell me that I don't already know. They already know. You sit down in a chair and they've already figured it out. But it's not for them to know. It's for you to know. You don't know because you still got the blanket over your head and Mm -hmm. you don't want to know. Right. They've are, they can look at I could look at a, a a student's school records and tell I I would tell the principal all the emotional issues that the student had and I never saw the student. And he would say, "Wow, how did you do that?" It's like because as you said, I saw missing ingredients. You saw the pattern. I saw a pattern. Mhm. And it it's not rocket science. Yeah, that's what we say. When, when what? You know, when I always tell people, I can tell when people in fight or flight freeze, and then I'll be like, yeah, you in freeze, and they'll be like, how'd you know? I know. <laughs> people walk through the door, and we're like, they're in fight or flight. They're in freeze. Mm-hmm. You know, you just know 
Well, the body, the body tells. Yeah, the body tells. And it's not, we don't say it from a judgment mm-hmm. standpoint. We just say it from a knowing because yeah. you know. You can't, once you learn that information, it's not like you can unsee it. It's right. like when I talk to people, it's like, are you, you know, don't overanalyze me. I'm not overanalyzing no. anything. Yeah. I'm just able, I just cannot unsee what I see, what I see and know what I know. Right. It just becomes natural. Mm-hmm. Becomes a natural thing. Well, because you're not more. I don't like the term woke. You yeah, me either. Because so many people overuse that. Well, and like woke to what? Yeah, right. What are you woke to? Yeah. Because because you got some information. Like uh, you know, I knew somebody that got all this information on all this woke stuff, but can't see themselves. So what yeah. really are you woke to? Yeah. You were woke to something, some some information. Yeah. But you can't see your own consciousness and you don't have the ability to self-correct. You're not, if you're awake, you're sleepwalking. Yeah. You know? So what? It, what is that, that, that wokeness that we're talking about? We're talking about really awareness of yourself. Yeah. And it first. starts, and it starts with yourself. And I may, you know, naturally say to myself, or oh, that person's in freeze or that person's in fight or flight if mm-hmm. I'm around them. As a way of knowing, and this is about emotional intelligence, as a way of knowing what do I need to do for myself when I'm around mm-hmm. this person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to keep myself safe? Do I not say certain things or mm-hmm. do I not say certain things in a certain way? Or do I just don't say anything? You know, mm-hmm. so it's about what do I need to do to keep myself safe? Yeah. Because if somebody's in a state of anxiousness, I don't need to agitate them. Right. So that's about being emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I think all this should be in a class, a, a layman's class, not a, you know, college, you know, class. Yeah. But just in, I, and we will, we are yeah. making programs based on everything that we're talking about to really break it down for everyday average people to understand their own patterns. You know, I bought a domain years ago called Know Your Pattern. It was mm-hmm. talking about knowing your brain pattern. Mm-hmm. You typically you know what you know what state you're gonna go into when faced with certain type of stimulus. Mm-hmm. You know if you're in fight or flight. You know if you're in freeze. You know, and that awareness I think is very powerful. And the um, you know, we both, me and you have both been really into the uh Self-help world, and I get that from you. I get that from Daddy, you know, um, and and self-development. Like, we read these books and things of that nature. But really, I think that the self-help, self-help world is all trying to do what we're talking about is the trauma, the trauma, yeah. the trauma work. That's really what we're doing. And it doesn't really help because it's not getting to the root. It's like right. reading reading is only information gathering. Right. It won't it won't get rid of the trauma that's in your brain and your body. Right. And so that's why we have the tools that we have and we use them. But I think that we don't fully acknowledge how the trauma has affected us. You mean yeah. individuals, yes. or people, and collectively, because they don't, we don't know, right? And collectively, yeah, because there was a there was a quote, and I saw you liked it on on Facebook. Um, 
where it was a friend saying, why, why is the violence in Detroit going up again? And I said, mm-hmm. and I said, because the pandemic trauma has unleashed the trauma that was already right. within us. Yeah, people talk about the pandemic, which was traumatizing. Mm. But that's just another layer of trauma. Another layer of it. There, yeah. Like, like all of a sudden, we had this trauma. No, we've we've had trauma, and now we talk about trauma. Let's talk about uh, adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. because we talk about it from family dynamics, and, mm-hmm. and we talk about you know my talk about my journey. I've been sitting here saying, "Well, great, my mom, my dad, love them. Great, great upbringing, safety." Mm-hmm. I still broke down when I was twenty seven. Yeah. So it's like, well, how did that happen? Because I don't care where you grew up at. You're not leaving life. you're not leaving childhood unscathed. Right. And because of life. Yeah, life. That's what that's what it means. Because life. of life and lessons. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get through this world without having situations to build your central nervous system? Mm-hmm. You don't. Things are gonna happen. And so you have to uh, come to terms with, so now what do I do? Right. Now that this thing has happened to me, now what, I, what, now what do I do? And I think that's the conscious part and the intentional part. And when you could wrap your brain around, uh, I do need to go home because we had that conversation, you need to come home. No, I don't. And next thing you know, you're on the way home. Yeah, we're, we're you're specifically talking about when I was in Miami. Yes. And I was going, you know, I started having panic attacks and anxiety. Yeah, and I was like, you need to come home because you thought, I think you thought of it as a failure. I'm going home. And I'm like, well, no, I don't think home. I just thought it as a failure. It's just, one, I was in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I was, didn't want to leave. I was in South Florida. I know, right, uh, with palm about, trees. Come, talking about come home to Detroit. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, I, nothing trumps home. Yeah, inside my body, yeah. first that home. Let's talk about that home. I'm not, you know, but again, South Florida is way different than, than Michigan, but I've been here going on 15 years now. Um, I talk about it in a previous episode. I actually share my church church experiences. And I sh- so so as people li- listening to this, they already got that backstory. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah, right? I was scared, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pray to Jesus. I was like, Lord. You had to pray to Jesus at the, the church I was at I, with yeah. Jesus, using Jesus against me. I know. I remember that day, too. I was standing by the window in my bedroom, and I was like, no, this is not happening. This is, you can't have my son, you know. This is that, Lord, you got to do something. And I, you know, I just let it go. I let it go. I was traumatized from that. Well, you were traumatized. <laughs> I'm the one got kicked out of church. I was traumatized then, too. I was so traumatized because I was like, "Is this happening? This cannot be happening." No, he's not. So, he's... but that that's talk about that because my experience was not a. As I look back, that was not an uncommon experience. 
What was an uncommon experience? Being at a church and having your mind taken over by the 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 church that you're at, and but, okay, and being, that was and also us. being excommunicated from the church. That I've never very, heard of any black person being excommunicated yo, that mom, from there's a church. A, there's a, you saw I got excommunicated. I recently. know, but that's your generation. Yeah. My generation, they don't kick you out. I don't care that's, how bad. They okay, are. you know why? Because you went to a you went to a Baptist church. First yeah. of all, Baptist churches like that. When you start bringing they in these, they set you down. Like they set yeah, they you sat down. you down. Yeah, I yeah. heard that term. Sat you down. <laughs> sat you down. They didn't kick you out. You got, you got you out. sat down. Like then they wouldn't have a church if they had to kick one person out. They need to kick everybody out. But I said on the show, I was like, I'm glad I, I needed to get kicked out because I, I needed to just I was not, like, not, yes. not not deal with those that was people the first ever time. again. Probably the first time in my life I would be glad my son got kicked out of church. I was like, <laughs> yes, when you told me that, you were sitting on the front step of the house, right? I don't remember where I was. And you said, guess what, Mom? I got kicked out of church, and I burst out laughing. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, you got kicked out of that church. Okay, so this, that, that was the first time. Then the second time I went. And got involved with another church, which was very, I, I would say that experience for me was very good. Yes. The the whole experience until the end when yeah. I saw them kicking a friend out of church. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, what? Like, I just saw, this just happened to me. Did they have a, a like, meeting like, they, like we're having right now? And, and so I left. <laughs> I left willfully on that church. And then we sat at the kitchen table. I don't know if you remember this. We sat at the kitchen table um, in Southfield, and you were like, so, based on these these two church experiences <laughs> that you had have had, what do you think is the lesson that you needed to learn uh, from how did you attract these two scenarios? And I said to you, because I was seeking for something outside myself. And that's when I really realized that I didn't need these external figures any longer. Right. They were they were beneficial in my journey, mm-hmm. but those men behind the curtain of the Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. I didn't need the oracle to tell me that I was the one. I started to learn that for myself, even though I was in my broken down yes. state. Yes, at that's, that time, then yes. my journey went along to, to build myself yes. up and to, to become inception. Yes. So as hard as that was, if, as a parent standing back, seeing you. Being a male version of Dorothy, going along the yellow brick road, mm. fighting, you know, with your little tigers and fighting them along the way. Neo. Neo and, okay, Neo, and finding that you're it. You're the one. It seems like we all go through this Neo journey. And there's well, a lot of people. some people don't. Really? Some people don't accomplish it. They don't, they say, I want to. Take that blue pill. I don't want that red pill. Yeah, that's pill. true. They're like, no, no, no. I'm not trying to see sometimes the painful truth of life. Yeah. And it's so as we talking about the, the, the journey, is there's multiple journeys and there's multiple matrixes in mm-hmm. the matrix. Like right now, we're on this matrix of, you know, the hyper, hyper vanity matrix mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. men and women, you know, it's all, it's so external based. If I can just, Show everybody. And comparing yourself to people. Yeah. To that one another. Constant comparing, constant, I got to show somebody who I am. And that's 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 still like being on in the Matrix. That's like you still, the Dorothy, you still, that's yep. just a different form of looking for 
the great and powerful eyes well, outside of you. I say, I, I use this quote all the time. Frederick Douglass said, you are now free, but you're psychologically enslaved. So you're, in, you're psychologically enslaved to the matrix because you believe that what it tells you is the truth, and that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, that you believe that there's something outside of you, like the wizard, mm-hmm. that's going to save you. Right. Or the relationship. Yes. With the wizard? The relationship? The relationship. Because a lot of, like, oh, people, that's vacation. Oh, bay, And they they pedestalize these other people relationships. You ever seen that where they're like, oh, I want a relationship like that. No, what you're really saying is you want what's the end result of what you think that relationship is giving those people. And what it appears to be. And what it appears to be because you're not even in that relationship to know that thing could be horrible. That person could be verbally abusing that person. Oh, Will and Jada. Then next you know, you see their relationship take a turn and you're like, oh, I don't really like that relationship. And how can you really tell about somebody's relationship based on what some news story told you about it? Just know that's fake. It, it, it's regardless if it's real or not, it's fake to you because you don't yeah. know. Right. You don't live in that relationship. And really, what is it your business? What does it have to do with you? Well, it's going to give me my sense of self, Ma. No. <laughs> and that was the other thing that I made a point of doing is not um, using other people like celebrity or status to help build up your self-esteem, like using uh, materialistic things, particularly clothing. Mm. You know how I was big on don't put a pair of jeans on that has a name and make rich people richer. That's not going to raise your self-esteem. And I was pretty uh, adamant about that with you and your sister. Yeah, you you know, And I did not buy those things. I was going to say that to you, too. That was one question I was going to ask. Like, man, you had the level of awareness and consciousness to know that it's not like you don't like nice things, first of all. Yeah, Let's get that right. straight. Yeah. Um, you've always been well put together. Everybody I know has always thought you were well put together and organized, right? And mm-hmm. I've never known any brands you had. I remember this gold little Gucci watch you had. You probably still got that thing. No, your sister got it and she lost it. Okay, see. And that was see? a gift. I didn't even buy that. So see, uh that look, you would have took care of it. It would still been good today, yeah, knowing it you. Would be. <laughs> knowing you, but but and then too, you don't wear a ton of makeup. You don't sit at the nail salon and get your nails done and all that stuff. You don't put all this chemical stuff on your body. Um You've been in the workforce and worked in the workforce. You've been discriminated upon in the workforce. You've had cancer and overcome cancer. You know, now you're a founder and a CFO, COO of a company. And to me, you're still as feminine as I've ever known you to be. So I said, but I said all that to say because there's this narrative and it is the matrix. That you have to act like a man to be able to be successful in life. Or that you have to turn on this masculine energy to be able to, one, have boundaries and enforce boundaries. Well, you know, I, I'm i the daughter of the king, so I don't have to do anything. Mm. And I realized that as far as, 
you know, we all are, my female sisters, my sisters, you know, we been influenced to, um, you know, touch up a little here and there and do this and do that. And I think that that depends on you. And I would encourage people not to go too far away from who they really are. You know, they've been using uh, cosmetics in ways way back in the Roman days, you know, in the biblical days where they used the earth to dye their hair and things like that. And so I, my philosophy has always been is that uh, I don't want to remove my makeup and scare anybody. You know, I don't want to be— yeah, I don't You don't need, want to think that I don't, you go into you know, witness protection program yeah. <laughs> when you put your makeup on, like, where did Tina go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just don't want to be that many degrees away from who I really am, mm. you know. And so I try to do use chemicals, you know, knowingly and sparingly. You know, I do color my hair, but, you know, and I um, I just do what I know feels good for me and not uh, be conscious of that I'm not trying to be like someone else mm. because I don't know what's— if, Let me put it this way. If I'm trying to be like someone else— then I'm saying that I don't like who I am. Right. And um, I came from love, you know, being of God, so I don't really need to do much more, you know, to Mm -hmm. prove myself to anybody or to show that I'm different. You know, if I show that I'm different or I'm trying to be like someone else again, like I said, then that's just saying that I don't like who I am. Mm. And it starts from the inside. And what are the ways that we talked about from the the women's standpoint and being programmed and influenced by the matrix or marketing, you know, branding and all those things? What have you seen from the man side that we are programmed with and kind of that has us caught up in a a matrix? Well, when I look back, you know, as a mom raising a black male, what I what I saw was that you had to show that you had a certain masculinity in order to survive. And um, there, there was a period when I was really um, concerned about that and how, you know, you would navigate through that rough time of adolescence of showing that you are a male, that you are a strong male without having to have some negative behavior behind it. Like like violence or... Yes. Yeah. Right, right. <clears throat> and I remember, you know, talking to your father a couple of times about it, and he would say, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. You know, and I would say, okay, well, I'm just going to pray anyway. Mm. You know, and so... um because it seems like you guys, there's this influence over you, and 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 I'm talking about too from the violence that has really taken place over the last few years. You know, more violence in Chicago, more violence in Detroit. It's like I have to show who I am by being angry. Mm. You know, and that influence of you need to be angry to show who you really are when behind the anger. What's really behind the anger? Sadness. Sadness, depression. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so. Suppression. But that, when you say that, that'll make you feel vulnerable mm-hmm. as opposed to anger makes you feel empowered. I can go beat up somebody. I can kill somebody. I carry a gun. I carry mm-hmm. a bat. I carry a knife. That makes me feel empowered because being vulnerable in a neighborhood where everybody's angry can get you killed. You know, you don't mm-hmm. you don't want to show your vulnerability. So I see that influence and also the influence of proving yourself as a man by obtaining things like a car, mainly a car, you know, uh, what kind of car do you drive? Mm-hmm. Bemo say, well, what kind of car do you drive? Not looking at your character. Yeah. You know, and so um, so you get this false sense of I'm so-and-so because I got a Cadillac or mm-hmm. I'm so-and-so and because that's going to attract the women to me. Mm-hmm. But you could be an abuser. Yeah. You know, and have those things. That doesn't make you better. Right. You know, so those were some things that I wanted to be, that I was aware of. Because if you notice, you didn't get a fancy car till you can get it and you pay for it. You got a little putt-putt car mm-hmm. <laughs> to go to school. Right. Your last year. So this is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because we didn't want to perpetuate. Even though we had nice cars, if you notice, it was like nothing. Right? Yeah, I mean... I mean, you don't even, like, we drove a car, so what? It wasn't ever, like, it wasn't, like, put on a pedestal. Whereas... By by who? By you? By me or your dad. No. No. We, yeah. we never talked about... No we one just ever went talked and got a car. Nobody and ever talked about what, you know, I got this car, I got that car. Or, I, just got I never a car. heard about things being mentioned about... Stuff. What we have anyway, stuff. Right. Um, and two, when we got stuff, and this is what we do today. This is what I say about all our family. Me, you, Mika, Daddy. Man, we resourceful. We gonna get some stuff on the low. I remember <laughs> when you had on a $50 tie. And I said, man, that is a sharp tie you have on. You go, I paid $5 for this. And then when uh, Mika came to a um, reception, wedding reception, she had this little black Calvin Klein dress. And I said, that is a sharp little dress you have on. She goes, I only paid $25 for this dress. Because I taught you, if you're going to get those things, pay as little as possible. Why are you making rich people richer? Yeah. You putting those things on your body doesn't improve your self-esteem. I and when I first got back home from from South Florida, uh, I found a connection. I already had that connection. Actually, actually, when I was in South Florida, mm-hmm. me and Daddy, we had this connection overseas, and we were on Alibaba. With those gym and, shoes. Yeah, we were on Alibaba yeah. and EC Plaza before like everybody. This is like two thousand four, and I had the Jordan manufacturer, and I was getting Jordans, and I was buying Jordans at thirty five dollars a pop, and I was only at a only had to buy ten of them. Right. So I was $350. I was turning around selling them things for like a hundred and something dollars. And right. from that point, that's when it showed me. I was like, you know, I haven't bought a pair of gym shoes like in years. 
it's, I may not. It, it'd be hard for me to spend a certain amount of money for some gym shoes because from a business perspective, I'm like, well, I had a connect where I can get 10 of them right. for $350. You think right. I'm going to go buy one pair for $350? And you start to see it from a business perspective. Everything in the market is priced at whatever somebody is willing to pay right. for it. A Gucci shirt with a Gucci name on it, it ain't like that That cotton is made from, you know, it's and cotton you know is what? cotton. I almost, you know, and, and a lot of people will be like, what? I almost don't want designer stuff, you know. No, I want my own designer stuff. You know, it's Inception almost like I don't shirts. seek out designer things mm. because they are designer Nah. It's almost if I see something, well, can I go to the outlet mall and get that, you know, 40% off? If I see something that I like because I like it, not because I definitely don't want to have Gucci across. Because I'm like, I'm Tina. Shoot, I'm the one. Screw Gucci. You know, like, <laughs> like uh-uh. That's the retail matrix then that we're talking about. Yeah, that's, really. the, that's the retail matrix. And I'm like, you're a slave to that. Mm. You're never going to. Raise your self-esteem by something external. Yeah. Now, when I was in high school, one of my friends, Desmond, I don't know if you remember Desmond, and Desmond had on um, he had on a Versace shirt, Versace jeans. The, the jeans cost at that time, this is 1998, cost $150. The shirt, the T-shirt, cost $100. Hmm. So that was $250 for just a shirt. And some jeans. This is 1998. And then, you know, the shoes, whatever shoes he had on probably was another three, $400. And then he come and asked me, to, can he borrow $4 for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> and I turned and looked at him. I said, bro, you could have had that $4 if you ain't have on a $100 shirt. I said, you could have got 20 T-shirts for $100. You right. know, and at, I'm in high school. Right. And I'm thinking like that. And I, I thought about that recently. I was like, the only reason why... I was thinking like that was because my parents was conscious enough to guide me and steer me and not allow me to go into certain matrices and programs already. So as we close, let's talk about one. There's a um, there's a post on our base camp that you posted. I don't know if you remember this. And it was talking about programming. It was like the list of what you did do with programming. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It was, Remind me. It was saying... One, you need to know that you're pro- you've are you been programmed. Yes. And what was the next step? It I was, don't remember. It was, so it was one, you need to know that you were programmed. Two, you need to know, well, who programmed you? Yes. And then three, you need to know what did they program you with? Yes, exactly. So I don't know if you want to go further into those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you need to know um, how you were programmed. Like what were you programmed with? Like what beliefs don't make sense to you? Mm. And that that may take a while because there's a lot of programming. And so um, because you can't get to reprogramming yourself until you know, well, how were you programmed? Like what information was given to you to keep you in a matrix or keep you psychologically, you know, enslaved? Mm. So and I actually went through that where I consciously went through, you know, and it would be. Not something I did in a day, but, you know, for a while, like, I would just be conscious of, that doesn't make sense, just throughout the day. 
Mm. You know, that doesn't make sense. How does that make me feel? That doesn't make me feel good. A lot of the programming is because you're black, you can't have this. Mm. You're never going to do this. You know, um, you don't deserve this. You know, things like that. And um, you have to, you know, take a look at that and, like, see what your thoughts are. And um, who programmed you? You know, kind of look at, well, who was it that told me that? Where did that come from? Just for you can, so you can be more enlightened about who was it so that, you know, if you come across that resource again, that you don't want to listen to that. Mm. And then, um, so this is a journey. Reprogramming yourself, you know, is changing those thoughts, you know, about your self-worth. And to be conscious about what you are thinking. What are your thoughts telling you? And you can change those by uh, using affirmations or just being conscious at the moment. You can change your thought anytime. People think that um, being happy is something external outside of them. And you know what happiness is? Having happy thoughts the majority of the time. Mm. So people go, that's really simplistic. Yes. It's all about your mind, what you're thinking. Like, what are you thinking? How are you programmed? What are you thinking? How do you need to reprogram yourself? Um, Realize that who programmed you, if it was uh, the community, social media, then you need to lay those aside because they're continuously programming you. That's why as little as possible, I stay off of social media because they always got something, what? Negative to say or comparing. They're going to put an image up and say, look at this person. And it's always going to be, but you don't look like them. You don't have their money. So it's going to, that's going to, you know, have an influence over you. Mm. So. And those are the ways to begin coming out of the programming reprogramming and then we'll end up into what we call reparenting and once you can do those things again you're going to tap back into what we talked about which is the inner wealth right everything that you want to truly experience in life is not outside of you it's your brain and your body that make up everything your happiness only is created within your body The external things are just that. They may be a stimulus, but the response came from you. Till next time, guys. Bye. You've been listening to the Inner Wealth Podcast on EYL. Theme song produced by Be Ready for West Coast Creations. I am Razcast, reminding you to take action, be proactive, be congruent, get out of the matrix, get your mind right. We've automated mental health at inception. Join the movement. Inner Wealth Podcast. 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 Inner Wealth Podcast.